You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. You can hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. It is Thanksgiving Eve, and according to many websites and everybody I know that seems to be under the age of 30, this is the biggest drinking day of the year. So my message Blackout is, Wednesday, is, I, I, and it doesn't only apply to the sub-30-year-olds. I would argue older folks without children might be also getting after it tonight. I didn't even know this was a thing until a couple. Oh, yeah. until I came to Connecticut, and everybody's like, oh, no, the night before Thanksgiving. And, of course, me being the snarky you-know-what that I am. I was like, I'm going to Google this. This doesn't sound accurate at all, only to find out that it is the biggest day of the year for mm-hmm. bars and uh, for... Everybody's you know, home for the break and nobody has to work tomorrow. Ah, well, it, it, it's a pace-yourself sort of day, and that leads to a pace-yourself sort of theme for tomorrow because we have a wild triple header of NFL action, and we're look, we're used to it. If you're anybody that's a sports fan, you're used to watching football on Sundays, but... At some point, you also look at it and say, okay, now I got to look at the games they got and figure out how I'm going to map around this. Because you got the Bills in action, who obviously are playing for their top seed in the AFC Lives. You've got the Giants in action against the Cowboys in the middle of the day in a game that, frankly, Sarah, everybody's going to have eyeballs on for both sides of what it means. And you finish with Bill Belichick taking on Kirk Cousins at night. Dun, dun, dun. This feels like the ultimate triple header that you could want. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things we have to establish first as we're strategizing the way to eat, sleep, watch, nap, eat again, watch our way to happiness. And the first is, when do you eat dinner? Is it a Thanksgiving dinner that is later in the evening? Is it more of a Thanksgiving lunch? Is it, God forbid, a Thanksgiving brunch before the hour of noon? In my house and in the houses that I respect, it hits somewhere between three and five. No, there's a there's a time frame here, three and five. I, yeah. I don't, you know, like most guys, I just think I don't put enough thought behind any of this because I'm like, I don't know, you eat whenever the food's done. You know, that, like, that that's as far as my mind goes. You know, the people making it have a plan. <laughs> I'm the usually the one like, that. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of being the person responsible for the Thanksgiving dinner. I think I've had to work so many Thanksgivings in my life that I've become more flippant about the entire wow, thing. you've forgotten what it's all about. Yeah. It's about, Fitz, having a light snack or a light breakfast so that you could set yourself up for a late lunch of a Thanksgiving dinner around, mm-hmm. say, 2. And that allows you to have a full meal. What, what, what two are you, or three. What, we, We're calling yeah. 2 o'clock dinner? That's 2 or 3. Supper? 2 or 3 is the optimum time for a Thanksgiving <laughs> meal. And then that allows you to take a little tryptophanic slumber on the couch, maybe watch some football, maybe play some games, maybe talk to your family members if you like them. Then you rouse yourself a couple hours later for round 2. And then uh, continue drinking throughout until you pass out at like uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, okay, so I... I... Is there are there any rules for the breakfast? Like uh, in in your world, are you eating light early on so that you have plenty of room for? Yeah, all Yeah, you of don't want to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a weird family of mine that used to all go to the gym together on oh. Thanksgiving morning. Oh. We would go get a workout in first. Uh, now all of my parts are messed up, and I would have to be getting in a nice stretch. Maybe <laughs> right now things are not working so well. Uh, we uh, we don't do that anymore. Some members do a little turkey trot. Uh, the rest relax. But yeah, you get you get a little breakfast in. Nothing too big so that you don't waste your appetite for later. I, I uh, you know, I, I've got a, a friend that knows a bunch of people uh, up in this area, so got myself a little cooter board for the uh, early in the day. I'm sorry, uh, is that a char- 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 charcuterie? Char- I mean, no, no, I'm going cooter board. Like, you know, okay. the southern I boy. I don't like that. I, sh- I do not... <laughs> 
I do not like that. <laughs> I refuse to accept that. I'm getting shaking heads. All right, I've this is going. Okay, hold on. Just, okay. This is going on the Dr Pepper Twitter feed at Spain and Fitz <laughs> at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. Number one. Can Jason Fitz call a charcuterie board a cooter board? Yes, And number two, we'll also ask people the optimum time for their Thanksgiving meal. But more importantly, cooter board? Yeah, I mean, nope. I, I, I've started doing that. That's a common, common phrase for me. I'm going to make it a thing. I'm going to, you know. I'd like That's to... just because you can't say or spell charcuterie. Oh, no, no, Mike. Thank God for autocorrect on the spelling of charcuterie or charcuterie <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but I will say this. Like, I think, you know, somebody out there smarter than me should develop, like, a, a cooter board where they're all deep-fried no. elements of it and no. make, like, the southern version of a charcuterie board is going to be a cooter board. Like were, The first it, time I went home with my uh, now-husband, then-boyfriend, for Thanksgiving, actually, we went to his small town in Wisconsin, New Holstein, Wisconsin. Okay, my husband is very Wisconsin. He was born in Sheboygan oh, and yeah. grew up in New Holstein. And we, of course, went to the bowling alley later after the, uh, the uh, Thanksgiving festivities. And on the sign... Uh, on the wall said Wisconsin vegetable platter and it was a mozzarella stick a fried zucchini an onion ring and french fries that is see that's that's a I gotta talk to him by the way at some point because like I've got a thing for like 13 year age cheddar you know like that like the longer cheddar's been aged the more like you have to eat it and then labor uh-huh. through it the better it is like let me wanna, let me like, tell you a story sometime about some cave cheese that I had oh God yes. that the cheese maker lost the location of said aging cave. And when they found it years later, it had been aged far beyond requirements for the sale of that cheese. So it was extra double awesome aged cave oh cheese. I, look, I, wa- I want to go like after every bite, like in a no, weird way. Don't I'm do just, that like, you're again, welcome. ever. You're welcome. This show is already so <laughs> By the way, there's football taking place on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> so uh, Buffalo taking on Detroit is the early game at 1230. And then you've got New York at Dallas at 4.30. I really feel like Buffalo at Detroit is the cooter board in this one. It's like, <laughs> no, it's like you're going to have a little of it. it. It feels fancy, but then you get a few bites into it, and you're like, should have just had a Lunchable. And then you get to the actual <laughs> thing that you want, which is New York at Dallas. That's the game because of the rivalry element, because of what we've seen from New York and the up and down, like the, the world waiting for the Giants to fall off the cliff and the fact that we overreact to everything Dallas does. I feel like that, that's the main course in this one. Uh, and the dessert is watching Kirk Cousins and the Vikings take another L. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the dessert on this one truly is uh, we don't need to relitigate my my take that all pie is trash. The 820 no, game is no. trash. Like, I don't no. want to watch Bill Belichick and I don't want to bat- watch bad Kirk. Like, I, I just I don't want any of that. Prime time Kirk Cousins. No, just where we want him. Okay, so the the key is to drink before the Buffalo game, to eat before the the Giants game, yep. and then to have dessert so that at least you've got something, you know, like yeah. with a cocktail. Yeah, I mean, that's, through, yeah okay. you, you have your light meal and you're drinking your mimosas, your early morning beverages, starting for Bill's lines. You have a little snack while you watch. Then once that's a blowout, you kind of skip the fun, uh, fourth quarter. That's when you have your meal. You get there in time for the beginning of Giants-Cowboys, which, by the way, That, like you said, is the most interesting in part because of the rivalry, but also because even though a lot of people think the Cowboys are going to run away with that one and kind of prove that the Giants record has been a bit of a mirage, Chris Canty was on Get Up today and like really trying to sell us on a way for the Giants to win. Run right at those pass rushes for the Dallas Cowboys along their defensive front. If you look at the New York Giants in the games 
after their previous two losses. They came out and ran the ball 47 times and 44 times respectively. They're going up against a defense in the Cowboys that is 30th in run-stop win rate. The Giants' only path to success in this game is to run the football with Saquon Barkley, the league's second leading rusher. They've got to try to stay on schedule. If you listen to Brian Dable, that's what he's emphasized. They can't get in a game where they're forced to drop back 35, 40 times. And I think leading with Saquon Barkley not only helps your offense stay on track, but it also keeps that high-powered offense of the Dallas Cowboys on the sideline. I love the idea. I mean, it's a, it's a really good idea to just go out there and do it that way. Candy makes it sound so simple, Sarah. I'm not sure that I can buy that it's that simple, but that is the game plan, and now suddenly I'm, I'm feeling froggy for the Giants. I don't know, maybe maybe a little? I mean, I'm not going to go that far, okay. but I do think it's a game plan. I, I think that this is going to be a moment where some of the good vibes around the Giants start to dissipate, and that's going to be tough because they've done an excellent job. This coaching staff has been really impressive with a not-so-impressive roster, but I think this time in the season, it might be where that pivot happens where some of the tougher questions about what the future looks like will start to be asked again as the record starts to take some hits. All right. You guys can be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Tweet us. Spain and Fitz at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, ESPN Nation, presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve goes great with the cooter board. Uh, all right. We will get Ooh. Devin's thoughts on the Giants game. He's a lifelong Giants fan. I got to find out how he's going to balance food and the emotions of watching the Giants lose on Thanksgiving. Day. Plus, there's a new quarterback in New York, and we'll tell you what it means for the now and the future of the Jets. That's next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So uh, one of our favorite uh, listeners, Gail, was wondering if Fitz would be around for tonight's show. Uh, not because of the holiday, but because one day after we announced that the show was going to be uh, hanging up its hat in two weeks, Fitz immediately cheated on me. I mean, it's not surprising. In fact, there would be no other way for him to uh, behave in the manner in which he has the entirety of our radio marriage than to cheat on me repeatedly over the last final days of our union. Sarah, I have breaking news for you. All right. Yeah. I got breaking news for you. Cooterboard's a thing. I didn't know this. No. There, there are Instagram accounts already for it. I can't even get no. one. There are Etsy people that are making cooterboards, and they, they even etch it into the uh, actual cutting no. board. Like, cooterboard's a thing. I thought I was ingenious and came up with something I could monetize and retire, live on a small <sighs> island eating meats and cheeses on a southern board, and it turns out somebody else already did it. And if I search cooterboard, one of the first images that comes up is shaped like a phallus. I, I can neither confirm nor deny. board shaped like a phallus. Okay. Which, uh, <laughs> you are right. I missed to be, that. To be I missed accurate, that. wouldn't be a cooter board so much as something else. Okay. Let's move on. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, you are welcome to go uh, vote on whether Jason Fitz will make cooter board a thing, although it appears somehow to already be one. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You were cheating on me last night because you were doing your college football digital show. And Fitz, uh, quickly before we move back to the NFL, I am just curious with all the talk around Michigan, Ohio State, are we missing other things on the slate of games this weekend that would really have an impact on the rankings next week? Yeah, I think USC is still in a prime opportunity to find their way into the college football playoff. Now, uh, I'm going to presume that Georgia wins. I'm going to presume that obviously whoever wins this game between Ohio State and Michigan goes on to win the conference and then TCU goes undefeated. There'll be one spot left in that situation trying to figure out who gets that one spot. Well, if Michigan loses a close game to Ohio State, 
They still haven't played anybody. Their strength of schedule is terrible. USC is in this middle of this stretch where they're getting ranked team after ranked team. So USC taking on Notre Dame, even though I think the committee had them at 15. No, that's not a great matchup, but that's still a ranked matchup and another opportunity for USC to get a win. If USC wins the Pac-12, I have a hard time believing they won't be in the college football playoffs. So that game means everything. And I I keep thinking back to our buddy Michael Luke Jr. When I talked to him about the, the national championship game that they lost that year, he said he walked into the stadium knowing that they'd done their job even before they played the Natty that year. He walked into the stadium saying, you know what, no matter what happens tonight, we had a great year because we beat USC. And, like, it matters so much to the people that play for Notre Dame. I just think Notre Dame's going to be fired up for it. USC's going to have to actually play a little defense. Yeah, that's good stuff. Hey, what was the uh, name of the weekend that you had to say last night? Oh, yeah. So someone thought it would be a good like this is rivalry week. OK, and rivalry I realize that week. the way I say rivalry week makes me uncomfortable, but there's no other way to do you have to over enunciate rivalry week. Oh, see, I oh, didn't no. do it there. Oh, and no. then last night they decided that they would uh, they do a segment where we ranked the games on rivalry week. So we had to do rivalry week rankings, which <laughs> like I just didn't stand a chance in that one. Like Christine Williamson, my co-host on that, started laughing at the way I was saying it. Then I was like, why don't you try it? No, epic fail. Rivalry week rankings, not easy to do. That reminds me of one of these statistics that Mina Kimes loves to cite so often on Around the Horn, but always has to slow down for, which is, which is it's already messing me up. I haven't even gotten there yet. Pass rush win rate. Which doesn't sound that bad until you try to say it faster, pass rush win rate. And so uh, that's actually making me think of, like, what are the other toughest sports phrases to get out? Obviously, no one knows how to say Jaguars. Yeah, no, that's why we win Jags. Jaguars. (laughs) So that's why we just say Jags. Uh, Are there other sports phrases that people can't spit out? I mean, I'm I'm awful, by the way, at pass rush win rate. Like I yeah. have to, I have to become a robot to even get my way through uh, that. Uh, I think the, that I mean, rivalry week and, and pass rush win rate are the two yeah. toughest. Also, though, Clemson fans will constantly tell you that we say that wrong in uh, App State. Well, people like, say Gonzaga. Right. I mean, it is Gonzaga, not Gonzaga, because it's the Zags, not the Zogs. Yeah, well, which always uh, I totally agree with, and I understand why people are passionate about. But, you know, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. I've never once looked at somebody that says Nevada and been yeah. like, uh, excuse me, that is wrong. Sometimes I don't people know say why. Illinois, and I do yell at them. Uh, see, I, I'm just like, okay. Silent S. See how you're going to say it. Um, we'll ask that. On the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, that's Bain and Fitz, that's Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz. A night full of polls. I'm not going to say what I was going to say about your mom. Um, (laughs) The the question is... We're off the rails. (laughs) I think we're already on our holiday break upstairs. We just have to put in another hour and a half of work. Uh, So in honor of rivalry... (laughs) Rivalry week... <laughs> I'm just impressed you never said anything about poles and cooter boards. I don't know. What to say. Devin, our producer, oh is just staring at me. Right now. Tell uh, us the phrases you know, that are hard to say. 
Get it together. Oh, Devin, why don't you tell us? Uh, give us a second here. Tell us how you're going to watch the Giants lose on Thanksgiving. Go ahead. Just I'm going to be here working. Oh. Because you know, oh, sometimes have to no. work on the holidays. Oh, that's a, uh, what a, a shame. Desert. Anytime, anywhere. We're going to get the little people, Devin. Um, <laughs> all right. Tell us the tough phrases to say in sports on our Twitter feed. Please help us. Um, Fitz, we got some news on Zach Wilson. This has been an ongoing saga ever since uh, the terrible game Sunday and the terrible postgame presser. Well, as I predicted and as I expected, he has been benched. Mike White, though, the starting quarterback. I thought they would go to Flacco, who, despite only starting three games this season, has more touchdown passes than Wilson does in his seven starts. And instead, they go to Mike White, who, I guess, if you listen to Robert Sala, has really advanced in practice in the weeks since the season started. Here he is. So the big thing I want to make sure I address on this one, um, just want to make sure you guys all listen to this very carefully, please. Zach's career here is not over. I know that's going to be the narrative. I know that what, that's what everybody wants to wants to shout out, and that's not even close to the case. The intent, the full intent, is to make sure Zach gets uh, gets back on the football field at some point this year. Um, when that is, I'll make that decision. I'm going to take it day to day. Uh, the biggest thing with Zach, and the same things that we've talked about, is the young man needs a reset. Um, uh, his decision-making's been fine. His practice habits, all that stuff have been fine. But there's some basic fundamental things that have gotten really out of whack for him. And this is just an opportunity for him to sit back, focus on those things, find a way to get uh, uh, reconnect to all the different things that we, we fell in love with during the draft process. And it's something that I feel like he's going to be able to do. I wonder if that plays into part of the conversation about why they're doing what they're doing. Because I agree with you. I would have thought Flacco, right? Like, you're not – I don't think anybody's genuinely in the building looking at this saying, well, maybe Mike White is the answer quarterback, right? So uh, why not give it to Flacco? But maybe you're a little worried that if you if you genuinely want to keep the door open to Zach Wilson coming back and you turn around and you bring in Flacco – you are going to make it difficult to reopen that door. You bring in Mike White. Mike White is revolving door quarterback. Well, and Mike, no, I think it's the opposite because if you're trying to keep the locker room and prove that you're trying to win more so than you want to placate Zach Wilson, then maybe it's easier to say, hey, Mike White's still a young guy who we've seen a higher ceiling from than going backwards to a guy in Flacco that you know could no way be the future. Now, I don't think Mike White is either, but it does feel like maybe that makes more sense than eschewing Wilson in favor of someone who's on the way down. It, it feels harsh to me, though, for the team. If they're if they're making a move at quarterback, it's got to be to win games right now. Like, their record is too good to worry about the future. So, like that, they have to also balance that, which I I don't yeah. envy. That's that's tough. But it must be. It, it, and the sound I played was about Wilson, but Robert Sala also talked about Mike White, uh, who having established himself as the number two. So m- they must be seeing something in practice that we haven't seen since he last played in a game. Coming up, are the Kings for real? We'll ask Brian Windhorst that and more NBA when we talk to him next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel eighty. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six. That's right, six. Only six minutes. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Let's run around the NBA with one of our favorites, ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst joining us. And I, I, you know, Brian, I, every time we see the Nets lose, it feels like the world is just collapsing and everybody's falling in. What's the appropriate response to what we saw last night in the loss against the shorthanded 76ers team? You know, over the last two years, they have just not shown a willingness to consistently defend. And I know there's all the stuff with Kyrie. And I know there's been injury issues with the other parts of their team. 
And now we have a coaching change and the yo-yo with Ime Udoka. And the roster has changed. And there's moments where they do have a good defensive game or a good defensive week. But consistently, habitually, they do not defend. It was the undercutting to all of those ridiculous lines that they had in Vegas last year for them to make a run in the playoffs. They didn't defend all last year. They didn't defend when Kyrie played. They didn't defend when he didn't play. And this year, I mean, they've at times been okay. But you saw last night their defensive focus and effort was completely unacceptable. And so I just can't take a team seriously, especially in an age where a ton of teams are great on offense. It would be one thing if offense was not a major uh, surplus in the NBA right now. Look across the league. Look across the Eastern Conference. Everybody has got two or three guys that can score. So the Nets, yeah, they've got incredible firepower, but they will lose an arms race in any significant series unless they start to defend. And last night, their best defender was injured, Utah Wananabe, who's a guy that they signed the last week of the offseason when nobody else wanted him. And congrats to him for becoming such a valuable player, but you can't have a guy who's supposed to be your 13th man get hurt and you quit and show no focus on defense. Yeah, it continues to be an issue. It has been since they put that team together. Wendy, there are certain teams in sports across all different leagues that it just takes a lot to convince me to believe in them. And the Sacramento Kings are one of them. 10 and 6 now. They've won seven in a row. What do you make of their success so far, and can they keep it up? I mean, this is not what I expected from them because, you know, knowing Mike Brown, the head coach, um, he's a defensive coach. He made his name in the NBA. You remember, maybe, maybe you don't. I hope you don't. But, you know, he was winning Eastern Conference Finals games 74-72 with LeBron James and four guys who played football on, on, the, on the basketball court on defense. And even in Golden State, in fact, one of the reasons why I think Golden State has backslid defensively is because Mike Brown, who's been their defensive voice for the last five years, isn't there this year. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Sacramento, and I'm thinking, okay, well, at least they're going to defend. They've got the best offensive team in the league by a mile. They have been killers on offense this year. Uh, De'Aaron Fox is having the best year of his career. DeMondis Sabonis, a guy who a lot of people criticized the Kings for trading Tyrese Halliburton. And look, Tyrese Halliburton is a great player. He's leading the league in assists. He is leading quite a renaissance in Indiana. But DeMondis Sabonis is a two-time All-Star, and he is becoming just an absolute weapon uh, for Mike Brown offensively. And I honestly believe they're going to get better because when a team improves defensively um, or when it has a coach like Mike Brown, I suspect they will get better incrementally defensively. So I don't believe that they are this good. They have won seven games in a row. They are not this type of team. But when you look in the Western Conference, right now there's quite a few teams underachieving. You look at the Timberwolves. You know, you look at uh, certainly the Warriors, um, even the Mavericks. Uh, aren't up there. The the, the Grizzlies are 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 uh, you know banged up and taking some losses. The the Pelicans, a team that we all thought was going to be you know a top six team, they've had some issues and they're you know dancing around five hundred. And you've got the Jazz and the Kings who have just come in with great focus and execution and have zoomed past everybody. And I mean, here's what I know about Sacramento: if that team makes the play-in tournament, like other places, you say, 
oh, that team's only a play-in team. It's kind of like an insult. You tell the Sacramento Kings they make the play-in tournament, they're going to have <laughs> a parade. Yeah. And you know what? They, I don't blame them. It's been like decades. So I think this team is good enough. I believe they'll continue to get better with Mike Brown, and I believe they're going to regress to the mean. I think all things are going to be true, but I think if you think you're going into sack and going to have an easy night like you've had for the last 15 years, that's not going to be the case anymore. Yeah, to your point, Wendy, 16 years since their last playoff appearance. That's the longest active playoff drought in any of the four major sports and the longest drought in NBA history. So uh, let's hope that they can reverse that. You mentioned teams that, that are underachieving. That gets us to the Warriors. Nobody expected this. What did we miss about the Warriors coming into this season? Well, there's two things going on. Number one, they're not defending, like I mentioned. And I just want to point out that last year they started 18-2. and two. So, you know, it's not like this is a team that has a history of not getting off to good starts because you do see teams that are sometimes champions losing their focus. And one of the things that they complained about was, you know, they had the shortest off season and then they had to go to Japan. And so they, they sort of tried to explain away their start. Well, we're pretty deep in here and they're still not defending. And the second problem is their bench. I mean, they – look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they – you know, you know, beat the Celtics in the finals last year because of how great Otto Porter was. But when you look at the bench that they had last year, they let Gary Payton, Otto Porter, um, and, and Nemanja Bielitsa, who went overseas, they let, they let them all leave. And those were their three key guys that they were bringing off the bench. And the reason that they let them leave was because they said it's time for the younger guys. And quite frankly, because they couldn't keep spending money on this team, they just couldn't keep signing so many veteran free agents. They had to have some of their, their lottery picks for the last few years step in, and those guys haven't delivered. You know, I have been a big believer in James Wiseman's skill set. I mean, you can't – I totally 100% understand why the Warriors drafted him over LaMelo Ball. Even though that was a mistake, we now know. When you see a seven-footer do the things that he did, I don't, I don't blame them. But he has not been able to deliver almost at all when he's been on the floor. Jonathan Kaminga, for as athletic as he is, he has not been able to fill the role that they need him to fill. And so they've been scrambling. They've been going to a two-way guy, Anthony Lamb, in their rotation. Think about the time that the, that the Warriors were so reaching for, um, for contributions that they had to go down to a two-way guy. It's never happened in this run. So without question, one of the big topics in the league, as you talk to executives, is are they going to flip some of these young guys with talent for veterans who they know can be more solid, especially defensively off the bench? Are they willing to give Kaminga uh, in the market? Are they willing to give Moses Moody? Are they willing to give James Wiseman? And, you know, I, you know in, the, in the playbook of how to develop a franchise, you wouldn't do that. They want to extend this run out to 10, 15 years, but they've also got Steph Curry in his mid-30s having an incredible year. So it, I'm sure it's something that they're seriously discussing in Golden State. Brian Windhorst, one of our all-time favorites here on Spain and Fitz as we bring some of our faves back for the last couple weeks of the show. With us here on Spain and Fitz at Windhorst ESPN is where you can follow him. Hey, Wendy, I want to ask you quickly about the Celtics. This is a team that obviously has a ton of talent, got super close last year, but there was reason to question if they would be disrupted by Ime Odoka and the scandal around the team and a new coach and everything else. Have you been surprised with how seamless it's felt? Yes. Um, I can't believe how that has been so quickly forgotten. The most drama that the Celtics have had this year has been injuries, uh, particularly to Robert Williams, uh, who's such a huge part of their defensive uh, core. Um, you know, when you watch them play, Joe Missoula has got them 
having an identity. When you watch the Celtics, you know how they're going to play. You know Marcus Smart is going to flop. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. that when Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum get the ball uh, after they're getting a defensive stop, they're going to push in transition. And you know that they're going to shoot. I mean, you look up and down the roster of, of, of what uh, Brad Stevens has built since he's become the president. Every guy on that team who they bring in, who they bring in can shoot. Brogdon, he can shoot. Grant Williams, he can shoot. Um, obviously, Tatum and Brown. Um, you know, Peyton Pritchard, he can shoot. Uh, Al Horford, he can shoot. Like, they have, they have, if the Lakers have built a team that doesn't make sense uh, for the modern era, which is a team that is short and can't shoot, the, Lake, the, the Celtics have, beat, have built a perfect team for the modern era, which is versatile and can all shoot. And that's even with losing these injuries. I mean, don't forget, they lost Danilo Gallinari. We're not talking about a guy who's going to be transformational, but that was another guy who was had size and was going to shoot for them before he was lost for the season. So um, very impressive to see what the Celtics have done, and they're absolutely going to be a contender in the end. Be sure to listen to the Hoop Collective podcast to hang out even more with them. Follow them on Twitter at Windhorse ESPN, ESPN Insider, uh, NBA Insider, Brian Windhorse. Wendy, happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. You guys, too. Enjoy it. I really failed. I should have gotten his thought on my charcuterie board renaming, too. All right. That's true. (laughs) Speaking. I would like to hear Wendy say cooter board. <laughs> one. Now, I think there there are a few times. You know who I'd really love to hear say it is just Woj. Just want to walk up to Woj mm. and, and ask him and just have Woj roll his eyes at me completely. What uh, would we be better though? Like someone with gravitas like Woj, or like a really sweet person like Christine Lisi? Oh, Christine Lisi. She would giggle <laughs> while she said it though, and it would be yeah. even better. Uh, yeah. And by the way, uh, the board that she presented would be filled with the most delightful, delicious dessert you've uh, ever be experienced a cookie board in your life. Instead of a cooter board. Oh man, I'm all in on those cookie. But don't give me a butter board. I don't like this is a phenomenon no, I, I don't, don't need. I don't like any of the boards where you're supposed to take whatever you're dipping and just rub it on the board. Right. Like I, I think whatever is on the board should be removed from the board, placed on the item you're going to eat it on. I don't unless it's like a dip in a bowl, but just rubbing butter on a board ain't it. Yeah, that that's like, look, dip belongs in a bowl and then you dip uh, accordingly. Speaking of which, we'll get into some side dishes with an expert on Thanksgiving. We'll figure out which one's the best, which are the worst and uh, get a little sports in there too. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I appreciate this jam. Fitz and I were singing it during the break cuz I sent him a video of a beautiful rooster that i saw in switzerland as not a euphemism it was actually just a beautiful rooster and it looked like it was wearing boots with the fur and to your point it looked like the most fabulous drag queen at a show it, it really this rooster it, yeah. i mean head to toe perfection yeah absolutely. i'll post it i'll post my rooster put it on the pole on uh, i'll post it on twitter shout out to my buddy tate uh, Basil Tate Lamastis, uh, down in, no, in Nashville. That's that, not uh, a name. That, that's a, that, no yeah, Basil name. Tate Lamastis. No Shout out to my buddy no. Tate that always uh, gave that me the expression. Like a euphemism uh, for sexy as socks on a rooster, and uh, and you know that's how we got here. I forgot. That sexy as socks here. on a rooster. And one day I was like, "What does it even mean?" And he's like, "When you have show roosters, the higher up the white markings on their feet go, those are called socks. So the better the socks, the more shows you win. So sexy as socks on a rooster came from like you want a rooster to have them high socks. Thanks, thanks, Tate." Yeah, which I said reminded me of my friend's dad in Arkansas who said he loved his daughter so much, I wouldn't trade her for a coon dog even to treat, which is a hunting dog that is willing to go up a tree to get the animal you're hunting. There we go. Uh, That's a level of commitment. 
We're back to cooter boards. That's huh? how we started here. Southern phrases. Charcuterie boards or cooter boards in Fitz's house. It's made in Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, throughout the course of this show, we're just trying to basically mimic the brain activity of most Americans the day before Thanksgiving at work. Uh, just <laughs> To be fair, we're not line. yet drunk yeah. for anyone that's worried. <laughs> just, we have knocked not that out. Yet. Yeah. Not yet, but the flat line of our brains is matching how hard y'all probably worked at the office today in anticipation of getting uh, your Thanksgiving uh, going on tomorrow. Hey, speaking of Thanksgiving, my uh, That's What She Said podcast guest this week uh, was uh, intentionally someone uh, that knows all about food food critic and author Jeff Gordonier, and he uh, helps compile Esquire's best new restaurants in America list every year. For years and years, he was the only person behind it. So he would travel all over the country, going to places, eating, judging, writing about, and now he shares those duties. But in addition to that, he has a great book called Hungry. I highly recommend for people who are looking for a gift for foodies and, and chefs in their family. Uh, but I had him on the podcast this week, and our little nod to the pod is Jeff surprising me very much with his answer to a simple Thanksgiving speed round question. Here's this week's nod to the pod. Let's do a couple more speed round. The best side dish for Thanksgiving. Creamed onions. Ooh, I yep. love onions and I've never done yeah. creamed onion. I always do it's creamed very, corn. My, 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 my mother, you know, bless her Calvinist heart. Like she <laughs> suffers through this. When, when we have Thanksgiving in California at home, uh, you get the little pearl onions and I think she has to peel every single one. Yeah. And you basically kind of simmer them in butter and cream. Okay. I mean, and maybe there's some herbs in there too. But it's basically just, it's like very like rustic French, just, okay. I mean, that's my I might add that like, to the list. I might, it's, uh, it's I an have outlier, it one time in my life in the twenties eating just a bowl of grilled onions. Uh, that well, was like really, it's really a bowl thing of I used to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this sounds like an upgraded version of the bowl of grilled onions I used to eat in my 20s. For more, please subscribe and listen to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain on your smart speaker or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let me just clarify. Uh, I did used to, in fact, eat just grilled onions in a bowl. Sometimes I would throw on some barbecue sauce. Is that weird? No, I think grilled onions are delightful. Really? Yeah, I'm all in for that. Just by themselves. Yeah. Nothing else. Uh, You're not going to judge me. I'm uh, in trouble. Oh, I don't, no. yeah. I don't judge you at all. It with my food taste. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually a big oh, fan. No. Like, most of the year, I'm a big fan of just taking onions and sometimes uh, green peppers and just throwing them on the grill uh, on a little plate where I can grill those out and uh, cook them down and, and eat that. Like, I eat that all the time with a bunch of different uh, bunch of different meals. I'm all in for that. All right. And actually, so you this sounds also like, think pearl onions or creamed onions sounds good. Yeah, the creamed onion sounds weird, but it good. Like, I'm not out yeah. on it. Like, it sounds, it sounds interesting to try. I just Googled it, and it looks delightful. It looks like mac and cheese, but with bunch of delicious pearled onions in the mix. I mean, I'm all in for mac and cheese with pearled onions in the mix. That's. I mean, there's good. no mac in there, but it just looks like that because yeah. it's like a bubbly, delicious vat of creamy goodness. I, I'm I look if you if you've got cream and anything on Thanksgiving, it's going to be good. And I yeah. love cooked onions, so yeah, I'm all like I don't eat a lot of raw onions, but I love cooked no. onions. That's no, because you know the me. older you get, the harder it is to digest. And then you wake up in the middle of the night and you got a hot onion mouth. No one wants that. Well, that's probably fair. Have I you had, ever had hot onion that. dip? Uh, uh, yes. I actually. It's like four ingredients. Listen, people, if you want to have the most magical, delightful thing, very easy, hot onion dip, it's got 
just four ingredients. They're all very healthy. Cream cheese, onion, Parmesan, and mayonnaise. Okay? Okay. Sounds disgusting. You cook it all up. You get Fritos scoops. Not normal ones. The normal ones break. Fritos scoops. Okay. If you Google hot onion dip, make that Fritos scoops. It's it's crack. It's so addictive. The way you say scoops is very intentional. And scoops. I, I, I'm a fan. I one time ignored that, and I was like, I don't, they don't have scoops. I'll just get Fritos. And every single time I tried to take a bite, it broke. And I was like, ah, scoops. Well, that, see, there we go. I, I've got a friend that uh, put out a cookbook for Thanksgiving, and I was looking through it. I, I bought it to support, you know, and I was looking through it. And actually, there's a recipe I'm going to try. I'm quite excited for it. There's two that I'm going to try out of it. But she has a carrot recipe that I think would actually be way up your alley because okay. uh, you like veggies in general. But mm-hmm. this is a chai-glazed carrot recipe. So it's like sugar and chai mm. tea uh, that, that's brewed into the carrots and soaked in the carrots. Ends up tasting mm. like a carrot cake, but it's just the carrots getting you there. So wow. uh, that that is a delight. And I'm also trying, she has a... Uh, a, a sweet potato s'mores dip. So uh, think okay. of everything from s'mores and then everything from a sweet potato. You combine them into one dip. You use graham crackers on it. Oh, yeah. I'm all okay. about I don't usually like, I don't like the sweet, sweet potatoes. I prefer a savory sweet potato. One of my items tomorrow is a buttery sage sweet potato casserole. No, I like that. Um, yeah. But I don't like the sugar. I'm curious, though. The creamed onions look pretty good to me, but I'm sure some people will, will turn away. What is the weirdest thing you've ever seen on a Thanksgiving spread? We'll ask our, our listeners to at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, the weirdest thing you've seen as part of a Thanksgiving dinner. Because when I go up to Wisconsin, where my husband's people are from, uh, they do that cannibal plate, which is just a big mound of raw hamburger meat on a plate with salt. I've never seen that. That is, that's. It's very uh, unsanitary and not good for you, and probably has salmonella. I, I I don't know that I've seen that many why like weird things on Thanksgiving. I will say this: I was on tour once in Europe and went because we were gone on Thanksgiving. I went to Gordon Ramsay's place in London for Thanksgiving dinner because he had a big American spread on it. And even there, eating a Gordon Ramsay's, I was like, eh, it's okay. Like there's just wow. most of the Thanksgiving like staples to me are just sort of okay. I don't know that many wild ones. I think it's because they're not being done right. Yeah. You got good mashed potatoes, cream corn, sweet potatoes, all that good stuff. It's yeah. good stuff, man. Gordon Ramsay, maybe he's a fraud. You just never know. <laughs> you just never know. It's Spain and Fitz. We're going to go around the NFL, look at the Week 12 slate next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.